Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And what you're about to listen to was a sermon that was preached at our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30 with our students. So I hope that this sermon is encouraging and a blessing to you today. Thanks for listening. Let me, uh, let me ask this question of you, okay? Who can tell me the current series that we're in? All of To be born again. What's it called, Lila? Go ahead, shoot it out there. All of? All of grace. And you guys are so smart because it's right behind me. Some of you still didn't know the answer. That's okay. You'll catch on. You'll catch on. Okay, and what what is all of grace this series been about? Like, if you could sum it up for me, what is what is like the general topic been about? Anybody help me? Okay, nope. Raise your hand. I'll call on you. Okay, yeah. Redemption. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Okay, the gospel of grace that God is working in our hearts. Good. Anybody else? Eve. Okay, that was one of our topics, right? And that's what the question I was going to ask. Did you look at my notes? Okay, because that was the next question I was going to ask is, what are some of those kind of difficult topics we've talked about? So election was one of them. And does anybody remember kind of what election means without, like, JT's right there too, so make sure you define it well. He's listening, okay? He's taking notes. Anybody want to give the shot? Okay, Isaiah? Okay, sum it up quickly. It's, it's God's... Choosing, right? God chooses some to, to, to find salvation in him, okay? And then our next topic that we studied at Rooted, and I think there were a few people falling asleep, like maybe my entire life group, but shh, don't tell anybody. It's not like this is being recorded or anything, okay? Um, what was that second topic about? Predestination. Okay, um, God's calling, okay? God's calling that he calls those who he chooses, and that call is, is put on your heart and you, and you start to, to want to draw to him, not because you do that in yourself. The Bible says no one seeks after God, but God calls you to himself and you begin to, to pursue him. And then last week, that gets us to what we talked about. Does anybody remember it was an R word? Regeneration. Regeneration, right? And does anybody remember what happened up here on the stage? What did Sebastian do? <laughs> he did like the easiest acting job of all time. Although he did have a little trouble with his lines. Because he kept moving when he was dead, right? If you were here to see that. Hopefully you don't think I'm picking on you, Sebastian. Um, yeah, so he was dead, right? And, and the idea that JT taught on was that dead people do what? They don't do anything because they're dead, Right? And the picture was, listen, listen, the picture was with the microphone that God does what? Remember? Yeah, he gives us life. And it's nothing the dead person does, but God engages with the dead person and causes new life to be born in them. So then that leads us to our topic for tonight, which is conversion. Okay, we're going to talk about conversion. And I want to stick with Kind of the same illustration. In fact, I'm going to use it as my main points. I'm trying to make something simple so that you can remember and and talk about it later in your groups. Talk about it maybe later with your friends or your mom and dad. I want to kind of run with the dead body illustration that was brought up last week. Okay? 
okay? And so I want to talk about um, CPR, okay? I want to talk about CPR, but before we do that, let's pray, okay? God, thank you for tonight. Thank you that you allow us and cause us to be here under your word. And I pray in this time that you would help our ears to listen, help our eyes to be open, help our our hearts to be soft, to receive the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. So God, help us in this time. Make Make it useful for us. Would we be engaged with your word and ready to be challenged by you? In Jesus' name, amen. So, conversion. Conversion, a definition is a willing response to the gospel call, placing faith in Christ for salvation and repenting of sin. So I want to break down that kind of long definition into three parts. And I've already told you what my letters are. CPR, okay? And and what is CPR? Just remind me because I forgot. Yeah, would you do that to like, do you have a sister or a brother? Okay, if your younger brother was, was fine, he was having a great day, he was just having the time of his life, and all of a sudden like you run into his room, what's your brother's name? Mason. Mason, you're like, Mason! And you like threw him on the ground, and you just start pumping on his chest really hard. Would he appreciate that? Would that be of any value to him? No, he, he'd probably swing at you, right? I don't know Mason, so maybe he's, he's not fired up. But if that was me, I'd be like, get off me. What are you doing? Because th- do people who are alive need CPR? No. 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 Way back when, like a thousand years ago, when I was your age or a little older, um, there was this TV show called ER. Okay, and so some of the adults will know what I'm talking about. Most of you probably have no clue, but it was kind of like the start of all these 87 different medical shows that are on TV now, okay? But, but I always loved that show because it, it was always about people engaging at difficult times with near-death experiences. And some of my favorite moments of that show would be they'd be wheeling a person in on a stretcher down the emergency like hallway and this doctor would just like jump up on top of the cart and what would they do? Just start CPR like nobody's business like pumping. Why? What was their goal? To save that person. To bring a person who was dying or dead back to life and living. And in a sense, regeneration starts that but in a sense conversion is our part of taking action to to allow God to continue to do the movement in our heart to believe in him. That's conversion, going from death to life. It starts in regeneration, and now conversion continues that. So let's talk about CPR. Three quick words. Well, they may not be quick, but I'll do my best, okay? Here's the first one, conviction. And I want to tie a verb. You guys know what verbs are, I think. I want to tie a verb to that word too, right? So conviction, I want you to see that we need to admit our great need. Conviction is admitting our great need. Romans 3.23. Does anybody know what that verse says? Anybody have that memorized? It's 
really long, very difficult. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You hear that? We fall short. We don't measure up. And we need to understand that before God, anything we do, no matter how hard we try, how much good we think is in it, it falls short to what God requires. We have a huge, great need before our holy God. So how do we know conviction is something that needs to happen? So I got a lot of verses here. We cannot turn to them all because we'll be here till like 1030. Okay, so I'm just going to give you some references and read them. And if you want to write them down, great. Here's my first thing that that shows me conviction is so important. Do you realize that the Holy Spirit, one of his first works is to convict? The Holy Spirit is called the comforter and the helper. And if you read in John chapter 16, Jesus is telling his disciples, I've got to go. It's best that I leave because there's one coming. He's called the comforter and the helper. And it's going to be better than me, which is, I can't get my mind around sometimes, like better than Jesus. But that's what Jesus says. The Holy Spirit's presence will be awesome in your life. He'll be your comforter and helper. But then right in that same passage, guess what he says he's going to do? He says he's going to convict the world. And you might say, well, I thought he was the comforter. I thought he was the helper. That doesn't sound super comforting or helpful, but it is. Because it's exactly what we need. We need to be awakened to our great need that we fall short of what God requires. You see, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. Here's another thing. God's word helps us grieve over our sin. Turn with me real quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Second Corinthians chapter 7. And Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. And the way that they learned about God, the way that they were challenged in their walk with God, was that Paul wrote these letters and now we get to benefit from them too. So it's God's holy word inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he writes this to them. Listen to what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to look at verse 8 and 9. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letters grieved you, though only for a little while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you... You were grieved and too repented. What does grieved mean? Anybody know what grieved means? Yeah. Yeah, is that a fun emotion to have? Like you wake up in the morning and say, boy, I hope I can grieve today. Okay, if you do, like, that's interesting. We could talk about that, okay? But no, I don't wake up thinking that, right? Yet Paul is saying it's an important part, not because he wants to see people upset. He says, like, I feel bad because you're upset, but actually I don't feel bad because this grieving leads us to what? Repentance. We'll talk about more of that in a second. 
But to understand that we must be grieving over our sin and realize that we fall short. So the Holy Spirit convicts. God's word helps us to see that we are sinners. And also understanding your sickness puts you in the best possible position. You know that story in in Matthew chapter 9? Jesus is calling his disciples and he he calls one who is a tax collector. And uh, do you know what the Pharisees, those were the religious leaders of that day. Do you know what they thought about tax collectors? Probably actually the same thing we think about tax collectors. um, yeah, we're like, oh man, those guys, they, they, they take all our money. Those guys are sinners. They, they, and back then, they, they robbed people. They took more than they should. And so it was seen as like the worst kind of sinner. And they said, why is Jesus hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and all of those awful people? And do you know how Jesus responds? He says this. But when he heard it, verse 12, he said, those who are well, have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. When we understand our sickness, that we we are sick before God, that we need help with our sin, that there is nothing we can do, that conviction puts us in the right place then for these next two words. So let's talk about the next one. C, we got the C in our CPR. Let's get the P. Here we go. Faith. What? What's so funny? What's so funny? What? What spelling? No, it's like Philadelphia. Faith. That's how you spell it, right? What? It's not? Okay. So, I am a pretty terrible speller, just for the record. However, I, I did know that faith was spelled with an F. Okay. But, but sometimes preachers have to take some liberties, never with God's word, but sometimes with your points. So I wanted to get to CPR, and it was the only way I could do it. So will you please forgive me? Okay. All right. Well, that's okay. That's okay. So, let's talk about faith for a second. Okay? Let's talk about faith. It's connected to this action. Believing in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Believing in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And I'm going to try to break this down as easy as I can. And and JT would would admit to this, that we could preach on this for days and days and days. And so there is all of this content that, that I feel inept to be able to share because it's just so deep. Okay? So I'm just going to quickly try to get to a couple things that, that bring it down, hopefully, to a level that we can impact for our lives. So what does faith look like? What is believing in Jesus as Savior and Lord? First, it's trusting who Jesus is. Trusting who Jesus is. And, and this really comes in at least three forms. Okay? And the first form of that trust, that knowledge, is this kind of knowledge. You guys all go to school, hopefully, or your homeschool. Okay, And so this part of your life until you're, well, even after you're out of school, Daniel's going to more school. And, and then if you're out of that school, JT's going to more school. Depends how far you want to go with school, 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 school. Okay, But there is that part of your life where you are gaining knowledge, right? You're, you're gaining knowledge and understanding of 
everything in your life. That's what you do as a student, okay? But, but that also needs to happen in your relationship with Jesus. You should be at a place where you're gaining knowledge of who Jesus is. And, and this is an awesome place to be at to do that. JT takes us through some, some doctrines that I'm like, oh man, I don't even know as a 42-year-old man, I can figure this out. Yet we are going through it because it, it gives us, one, some knowledge. And you have to have that if you're going to believe in Jesus. You can't trust in something that you don't know anything about. So, real quickly, give me a couple examples. What's something you know about Jesus that's a head thing that we know about? Okay? He's holy. Great. What else? He was a savior. Okay, he's our savior. What else? He died on the cross. He died on the cross. Great. What else? He's loving and dying. He's loving and dying. Great. Another thing. He gives us mercy when, when we should get punishment. Great. He never sinned. He never sinned. And what could we do? We could go around like this probably for a good 10 minutes. Just listing off the things that we know about Jesus to be true. And that is a great head thing. But guess what? That's not, that's not faith. That's the beginning of faith. But it is not saving faith. So you need head knowledge. Here's what else you need. You need to agree with that knowledge. So... There are things that, that you may know, but you haven't agreed with. You haven't said, yeah, I believe that's true. It's called assent. To say that I, I hold fast to that. That thing that he said about Jesus, I believe in that. That thing that she said about Jesus, I believe in that. That is required for saving faith. You, you have to at least, you have to know, not everything. I'm not saying you have to know everything. But you do need to know who Jesus is. And you need to... To trust in that by saying, I believe that is true. And then lastly, the most important piece, well, I mean, they're all important. But maybe the most important piece is personal trust in Jesus. Anybody know what John 3.16 says? Go ahead. That's personal trust. That's personal trust. This summer, um, uh, Isaiah and my son and, and me and actually my wife came along and my two other kids. How about that? A whole family vacation. Okay? And we went to the Great Smoky Mountains. And I think pretty much like half the country was there at the same exact time. Okay? But that's beside the point. We did this really, I'll be honest, crazy scary thing. Okay? We signed up for this zipline tour. And when we, back when we planned it, like I, I said to my wife, after looking at the videos and stuff, like, sure, we could do that. Because it was months away. And I thought, oh, well, maybe it'll rain or something. Well, we got there, and it didn't rain, right, Isaiah? It was a beautiful day, nice, hot, sunny day. And so we get there, and we start putting on all this gear. This was a two-and-a-half-hour zipline tour in the middle of the biggest mountains on the east side of the state, right? And so we, they take us up in this razor thing, right? Like, so steep that you, you're like, I thought, like, that was going to be the scary part. Like, I don't know if I can stay in this car. Like, is this going to get scarier? Well, it does. Don't worry. Um, so then they get us to the place where we start to have to walk up. And basically, it's like telephone poles. Really, really big telephone poles suspended with these decks. Like your, your, your back 
deck in the back of your house only like, I don't know, it felt like thousands of feet in the air. I don't think it was that high, but it felt like that. And so we get out there, and, and no kidding, when you're on the top of that thing, all of a sudden you just feel this, like, and I'm like, oh boy, we're, we're up in the mountains, and then we're in the mountains, and then we're on these telephone poles way up high in the sky. And Isaiah looks at me, and I look at him, all of us are kind of looking at each other like, well, it was nice knowing you, we're all about to die. Like, that was the feeling you had. Well, then... You're, you're hooked up to this zip line, right? And so you, you have to come out of this gate. Like you're, you're, you're in a gate, so you feel kind of safe. But then they say, no, we're going to open the door, and now I'm going to walk out here where there's nothing holding me except this line that I'm supposed to trust. Right? Well, then it gets even better. Then they have this box that you have to step on top of to reach the connection to the zip line. So now you're, like, standing... Out in nothing, on this box, and everything's moving like it took everything I had not to like hug the lady who was helping me and beg her to take me back to the car. Okay, but my son was there, I could not look like that. Well, he, he knows the truth. Anyway, here, here's what I'm saying. Long story to, to say this. When I jumped off of that and went for a quarter mile, 35 miles an hour, down this zip line to the next station. That was personal trust. I was saying, this line is going to hold me. Everybody who's doing this knows what they're doing. And they hooked me up right. And so I put my personal trust in that line. Because if I did it, would I ever do something so dumb? No. Because you would fall to your death instantly. But here's the point, and I want you to understand this. This is what faith requires. Putting your personal trust in Jesus, and you're saying, Jesus, I know who you are. I agree that it's true. But more than that, I am putting everything I have, my belief, in you alone for my faith. You did what I could not do. And so I'm trusting in you. That's what personal trust is. So it's trusting who Jesus is. It's seeing Jesus as the most valuable as well. I've got a flag because I know I'm behind on time. But the idea is, is understanding that Jesus' value is so much greater than anything this world has to offer. You could read parable after parable about this and how Jesus illustrated that even when he was on earth. Matthew 13 lists two parables back to back about a man who had a field and he sold everything else he had to get the field because he knew that there was the greatest treasure in the world. That's Jesus. And there's another parable right after it about the pearl of great price that, that you would sell everything you had to have that one pearl because you knew it was more supremely valuable than anything else in this world. And that's who Jesus is. And that's who he wants to be for us. So it's Trusting who Jesus is. It's seeing Jesus as the most valuable. And lastly, believing in Jesus as Savior and Lord means depending on his grace. It means depending on his grace. You may think, I, th- I think I have faith. But, but Scott, to be truthful, my faith fails. I choose sin. I fall short. I don't see Jesus as most valuable. 
and I got good news for you because that's why Jesus died for us. Because he didn't fall short. He, he knew we would. And so when we place our faith in Jesus, he gives us that grace to say, I did it. You don't have to. Our faith will never be perfected this side of heaven. You could ask JT. You could ask Pastor John. You could ask your parents, whoever you want to. They'll tell you, no, my faith isn't perfect. But I love this verse. Write, just this, write this reference down. We don't have time to look right now, but look, Mark 9, 24. I, I don't have time to get into the whole story, but basically Jesus did this all the time. He's just healing people, casting out demons. And people would come to him and say, I'm sick, can you help? And in this case, this father came to him and said, my child is, is, is possessed, can you help? And there's a conversation, and, and Jesus is, is, is telling him that, yes, I can help you. And you want to know the, the father's response. I just love this. Let me just read it. I'll butcher it. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, before he was healed, I believe, Jesus. Help my unbelief. You understand that? Even in that moment, that guy's faith was not perfect. He didn't say Oh yeah, I know you're going to. He said, yes, Jesus, I believe you, but there's this small part of me that still hangs in doubts and wonders and questions. But Jesus, after that man said that, healed his child. And that should be our approach. Not that we can just do it, oh, well, Jesus doesn't really care if my faith is weak. No. But putting your personal faith and trust in him and saying, I believe, Jesus, but help me. Give me grace to have more belief, to have more faith, to step in with more of who you want me to be and trust in you. So we've talked about conviction. We've talked about faith with a P, I know. Here's the last thing real quickly. Let's talk about repentance. Repentance. And I think it, the action looks like this. Confess and turn from sin. Confess and turn from sin. You know, the Psalms is a great place to see our reaction when we sin and how we pray to God when we sin and what Jesus or what God does through Jesus now for us when we sin. In Psalm 32, verses 5 and 6, it says this, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. I can't help but think when I read that verse of the Garden of Eden. You know when sin first entered the world? Do you remember what Adam and Eve did right after they sinned? Anybody? They like go on a vacation? They make like peach jam with the fruit that they ate? No, what did they do? They hid. They hid. And I think if we're honest with each other, yourself, it's what we tend to do first when we sin. We cover it up. We hide. Where's mom? Where's dad? 
little brother, you tell anybody, I'll, right? Because we're, we're shamed. We feel bad, we feel guilty, and we hide. And it's exactly what Adam and Eve did. But when God comes into the cool of the garden, what does he say? Why, Why are you hiding? And from that moment on, God is in a process of bringing us out of hiding and bringing us back to himself. And not be ashamed of sin, but learn how to deal with sin and repent. Psalm 51, 4. This is David. I think we've talked about this just recently. David said, against you and you alone have I sinned. He understood that his sin was in God's face. It was directly in God's face. And even though there were other people involved, the sin most was an affront to God. And and that was the issue at hand, is that God had to deal with David's sin. So you have to expose your sin to God. You have to confess it. And it feels funny, doesn't it? If I'm honest, it feels funny at times because I know God already knows. Right? But you can clearly see over and over again, the scriptures say to confess your sins to God. It talks about confessing your sins to one another even. It's this action that somehow helps us see that repentance is needed. And the first thing we have to do is is stop hiding, stop covering, confess. And the second thing is be grieved or be sorry. Look at, look at 2 Corinthians 7. We, we were in this text earlier, and I want to pick back up from where we were. Paul, in verse 9, once again, he said, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into what? Repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Then listen to this. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation Without regret. What does that mean? When we're grieved, we do something wrong. And we feel bad about it. Does that feel good? If you're honest, no. It does not feel good. And so you can say, well, how in the world is grieving about your sin a good thing? Well, here's, here's the great thing. It's, it's not a sorry. Okay? It's one of my favorite words. Especially when, you, when you're a parent, sorry is such a fun thing because you have to teach your kids that they need to be sorry, right? And so I remember doing this with Isaiah and on all my kids, like, say sorry. And, and, and almost every time, 100%, it, it comes out how the very first time. Yeah, it's either sorry or sorry or any form of sorry in between. But is that genuine? No, they're just saying it. And what they really feel, it isn't repentance. It's like, man, I wish you didn't catch me. I wish I was smarter than you so I could figure out how to fool you. And that day's coming, Isaiah, I'm getting old, so you'll be smarter than me very soon. Okay? And you will be able to, to outsmart me. But that's, that's not it. See, it's not worried about getting caught. Sorry I got caught. Wish maybe next time I'm smarter and I'd get away with it. That's not repentance. Being grieved to get you to repentance. Actually, look at the verse. It leads to salvation without regret. 
when we're in a true state of repentance and Jesus is taking our sin away, we actually are happy that we got caught. Yes, praise the Lord, my sin was revealed because now I can go to Jesus and he's not going to condemn me. It says that in chapter 3 of John, right after for God so loved the world. He's not to condemn the world, right? But he offers forgiveness. He takes the regret away, the guilt away, because he offers forgiveness, because he was able to live the life that we can't. So we can run to Jesus in repentance, not because it's, it's going to guilt us, but because he's going to take all of that away and give us salvation and forgiveness and mercy and love and all of those things we were shouting out just a little bit ago. Because that's who Jesus is. What great, great news that we could repent of our sin and Jesus takes that and in his place he gives us his righteousness. I think we're going there next week. Here's the last thing and then we'll be done. Repentance also is about going the other way. Repentance involves stopping, turning, and going the other way. And, and you, could, you could read 500 different stories in the Bible about God's redemption in people's lives. But I just picked one. I don't know why this one came to my head, but it did. Zacchaeus. You remember him? He was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And he climbed up in the sycamore tree because Lord, he wanted to see. And, and we could go on. I don't remember if I know all of it, but it's been a while. Maybe we'll put that on the set with less for next week. Um, no, but what's the point of that story? Zacchaeus didn't know it, but he had a calling on his life. And, and Jesus comes to pursue him. And he comes up to that tree, and what does he say? Zacchaeus, get down. Why? I'm going to your house. A redemption story. One of those sinners that the Pharisees didn't want anything to do with. But Jesus was about calling sinners to repentance and faith in his name. And what did Zacchaeus say? Did he say, I'll try it out? Yeah, maybe. No. He was changed by God's grace. And he stopped what he was doing. He turned. He walked the other way. And then he multiplied it by four. Because he was all consumed with who Jesus was and the great grace that was given to him that day. Repentance is a stopping of my sin and turning and running to pursue Jesus. And once again, it's not perfect, but that's where God's grace comes in. Always ready to forgive and and empower us to have more faith when we trust. So my question is, do you need CPR? Have, have you understood what it means 
to have a conversion experience. And, and I don't want you to get the wrong idea that this is some kind of line where you cross it and then you're good. Like, okay, I'm good, I'm converted, now what? No, this is, all of these things are a continuing coming back to and seeing the greatness of Jesus in your life over and over again. But, but you do need to have a story. You do need to have a time where you were gripped by all these things we talked about and said, yes, I want to trust Jesus. I want this to be my story of, of conviction of sin, of faith in who Jesus is, personal trust in him, and repenting of my sin. I want that to be my story. Let's pray. God.